0: Welcome to the African History Network show, right here on 910 AM, the Superstation of Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Thursday, June 3rd, 2021, and we are live. Hope everybody's doing well today. Well, it's been a very uh, busy day today, and uh, I was pulling together content for today's show um, and still reviewing. Going back over my notes and looking at the documentary from the History Channel, uh, the uh, Tulsa Burning, the 1921 race massacre, uh, the documentary about um, uh, Greenwood district, the 1921 uh, race massacre in Greenwood, where Black Wall Street was. And then I was going over some information and realized that today is the fifth anniversary of the death of the greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali, who passed away uh, June 3rd, 2016. So we'll talk about that some today on today's show. Um, and you see me wearing my Muhammad Ali shirt. This is a shirt I haven't worn in a long time. Muhammad Ali says, the greatest, uh, 1942 to 2016, celebrating the life of Muhammad Ali. I actually forgot I had this shirt to tell you the truth. So. I posted an article um yesterday dealing with critical race theory and dealing, it's uh two uh law school professors Kendall Thomas and Marvin Lynn they're experts on they're leading scholars on critical race theory and they're hitting back uh against uh republicans against conservatives against these opponents, against critical race theory, and most people who are attacking critical race theory can't tell you what it is. There was a good article from uh, Fox News, of all places, foxnews.com, that did an interview with uh, these two scholars about critical race theory. So we're going to talk about that uh, today. We're going to share that interview with you. University, uh, critical race theory professors strike back against the lies from Republicans. We'll discuss that. Then, uh, we'll continue our discussion dealing with the, uh, documentary from, uh, the history channel, uh, Tulsa Burning, the 1921 race massacre. And I'll share more of my notes, uh, on the, uh, on the documentary. I have five pages of notes for about the first thirty minutes or so. I still I've seen it three and a half times. I still have to go through and finish watching it. So we'll talk about this some more today. But we'll continue our discussion dealing with dealing with some of the pioneers, uh, in Greenwood and some of the entrepreneurs in Greenwood. Okay, we'll we'll continue that discussion as well. And then we'll talk about the fifth anniversary of the passing of the greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali. There's a new documentary that is uh, coming out about Muhammad Ali's airing Friday in uh, Louisville, Kentucky and it's called City of Ali, City of Ali. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, as well. All right, now on the African History Network show we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's corrects wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you can control the circumference of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now we deal with a number of different topics here. On the African History Network show, we deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, uh, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828, the sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828, the sign up for our email newsletter. Also visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and uh, sign up for our email newsletter there uh, as well. Uh, You can support the African History Network, dollar sign, The AHN Show through Cash App, dollar sign, The AHN Show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN Show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN Show, and when you do it through Cash App, be sure to type in dollar sign, The AHN Show through Cash App. All right. Um, And we'll talk more about the online course that I teach on Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Maafa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. So I want to go to uh, this first story here. This comes by way of Fox News. We're going to go to clip one in just a minute here, uh, Shakita. This comes by way of Fox News, of all places, foxnews.com. But they had a good article. Uh, I shared it. Um, a couple of days ago, got a big response on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, Unity uh, university professors hit back against opponents of critical race theory, university professors hit back against opponents of critical race theory. Now, you know, we've talked about critical race theory extensively here on this show. And uh, critical race theory is a legal analysis that looks at race as being a social construct as opposed to uh, being something that's biological. And it looks at the ways that laws and policies are used to uh, oppress uh, non-white people, especially African-Americans. There was a, a good article from BlackNewsChannel.com that dealt with the interview that uh, Dr. Mark Lamont Hill did with former uh, Georgia State Representative Vernon Jones. Vernon Jones is African-American. He was a Democrat, switched to the Republican Party. He's a big uh, Trump uh, fan. Uh, He's running as a Republican for governor of Georgia. He's not going to be Stacey Abrams. People would sense know this, okay? But Vernon Jones said if he becomes governor of Georgia, he's going to do an executive order to uh, ban the teaching of critical race theory in schools Uh, And when Dr. Mark Lamont Hill asked him a number of times to please define what critical race theory is, please explain it, he couldn't do it. He just shows how ignorant he is. Vernon Jones is very ignorant. Just research him. This article here uh, gives some background information on critical race theory. uh, Representative Vernon Jones wants to ban critical race theory, can't define what it is. Critical race theory is a legal analysis on the premise that race is a social construct that is used to oppress people of color rather than a natural biological feature. And critical race theory seeks to uh, understand how laws and policies are are used to do this and to correct this, okay? Um, so I want to go to this uh, clip here. And these two uh, professors, uh, law school professors, Kendall Thomas and Marvin Lynn, push back on a lot of the Uh, misinformation floating around about critical race theory. Let's go to uh, clip one, Shakita. Uh, Take, you can, uh, yeah, okay. It
1: is mostly taught in law schools and in graduate schools of education. Um, It does not extend from Marxism, as I think we've heard in the media. It actually extends out of the great work of the civil rights movement. The term critical race theory was coined by uh, Professor Kimberly Crenshaw in the early 90s at a a conference on race when we began to look at classroom teaching practices, curriculum, and a whole range of issues that impact student learning from the perspective of critical race theory, and that is... Trying to understand uh, how does race and or racism shape the experiences of students who are who are historically marginalized and underachieving uh, in America's schools. Critical race theory is concerned above all with addressing the literacy deficit in this country around race, and critical race theory starts from the idea that you cannot educate young people to take up their responsibilities as citizens unless you also give them a critical racial literacy. To what extent uh, have racial inequality and racial injustice harm not just racial minorities, uh, but all Americans? That is the heart of critical race theory. What critical race theory has helped us understand is that if you look at the founding of our nation uh, as it was it started, as it began, that um, there there were some inherent beliefs around race and racism that shaped that founding, or schools, like every other institution in this country, hospitals, uh, the court system. I mean, every institution in this country was sort of created and developed out of a, of a history that unfortunately is marred by uh, race and racism. Right? Critical race theory uh, tries to tell another story. Uh, and that's the story of institutional or structural racism, the racism that happens behind our backs. Uh, in the daily life of schools, in which kids are tracked academically because of the color of their skin, oh, racism is still uh, very active in our society. I mean, there are so many incidences every day that we can point to uh, of, of racism, and I do think it's it's our responsibility um, as as individuals to to see where we are, um, to, to see where we fit in that and to have conversations with, with young white people and, all, and people of all backgrounds about how do we uh, promote a society that is fair to all people for a lot of white Americans. It is a challenge, I imagine, who experienced the shock of recognition that for most of your life, you haven't had to think about or see yourself in racial terms. Right In this conversation, in this country, conversation about race historically, um, has largely been a conversation about people of color. People of color have a race. White people don't. Uh, And the shock of recognition uh, that white people uh, do have and live, um, racial identities has provoked rage and resistance and resentment about any conversation regarding race that doesn't center and give privilege and pride of place to colorblindness as an ideal. I do think.
0: All right, pause right there, uh, we're coming up on a break. Pause it right there. Uh, back it up about a minute. We're going to continue this on the other side of the break and break some of this down. They are uh, uh, law school professors Kendall Thomas and Marvin Lynn are hitting back against a lot of this misinformation that has been floating around, especially um, in conservative media, right wing media, Fox News, Newsmax, et cetera, dealing with critical race theory. All right, you listen to the African History Network show right here on 910A on the Superstation of Future Radio on I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes.
2: Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go blacklisted empower yourself start your free trial today we all know the cannabis industry is headed toward an uprise in the past decade what happens when there is a brand that brings this uprise in a blow the cannabis industry welcomes her uprise hustle her hemp delivering excellence with pride is her watchword and how you choose to embrace it makes it a priority from cultivating rich cannabis into exquisite and tastefully finished CBD products to delivery, Hustler Hemp leaves no stone unturned. Hustler Hemp's mission is to empower women of color by building business and creating legacies, uniting beauty, health, and business. We are a pure definition of how we want the CBD industry to become in the future. While we are redefining innovation, we bring the same energy to improving the quality of life. Hustle Her Hemp is the new uprise.
0: Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on the, Antoneum, the Superstation the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Thursday, June 3rd, 2021. And we are live. Calling numbers 313-778-7600. If you have a uh, question or comment, 313-778-7600 is uh, the calling number. So right before the break, I was uh, talking about this uh, There's an article from uh, FoxNews.com. And I usually don't read articles from Fox News, but it came across my timeline. On Facebook, and this deals with um, two uh, law school law school professors who are experts on critical race theory, um, Kendall Thomas and Marvin Lynn, and they are breaking down explaining what critical race theory is and dispelling uh, myths about critical race theory. Okay. Kendall Thomas is a law school uh, professor uh, at Columbia University and Marvin Lynn is a professor at Portland State University. Okay. Um, they sat down to explain the beginnings of critical race theory, its educational goals, and the motivations of those whom they believe intentionally seek to distort its, its true substance. Okay. Those who they believe intentionally seek to distort its true substance and one of the things that one of the myths they dispelled is that um, you know contrary to right-wing media depictions it's not an extension of uh, Marxist uh, theology. Uh, First of all critical race theory is a field of studies within law. It is mostly taught in law schools and in graduate schools of education. It does not extend from Marxism. And I think uh, we've, uh, as I think we've heard in the media, uh, this is uh, Marvin Lynn who uh, said this, Professor Marvin Lynn of the uh, Portland State uh, University, a professor at uh, Portland State University. Okay, now critical race theory has sparked a uh, national conversation about the role of race and racism in school districts across the country. Uh, law school professor at Columbia University, Kendall Thomas, uh, Kendall Thomas believes discussions in schools about race are important because without them, he said, "quote You cannot educate young people to take up their responsibilities as citizens. You cannot educate young people to take up their responsibilities as citizens." He went on to say that critical race theory is concerned above all with addressing the literacy deficit in this country around race, okay? Addressing the literacy deficit in this country around race. Critical race theory starts from the idea that you cannot educate young people to take up their responsibilities as citizens unless you also give them a critical racial literacy. A critical racial literacy. Now, we just saw that on Monday, uh, Governor Bill Lee, in the state of Tennessee, a Republican Governor uh, just signed a bill. Uh, just signed a bill that bans uh, teaching critical race theory in schools. Uh, governor Bill Lee says students should be focused on togetherness and the "quote unquote" exceptionalism of national of our national instead of division. Exceptionalism of our national instead of division. Okay either our national or nation, one one or the other. Um, it, there was an article from uh, there was an article about Tennessee banning uh, critical race theory. You, you have about 13 or 14 states that have uh, passed laws to ban critical race theory from being taught in schools, even though there's no effort really to teach critical race theory in schools. It's not something taught to K through 12. This has just become a lightning rod for Republicans after uh, Donald Trump basically banned it from uh, when it, in, in regards to training when it comes to government employees in September, 2020. He did an executive order to, to ban this with, dealing with diversity training and different things like this. And uh, Joe Biden has reversed that executive order, uh, thankfully. If we look at this article here from uh the National, what is this? The Na- the North Star Journal. The North Star Journal. Uh Tennessee bans teaching critical race theory in schools. This is from January 3rd, 2021. Uh they picked this up from the Associated Press. Tennessee is the latest state to ban teachers from uh teaching certain concepts of race and racism in public schools, where teachers risk losing valuable state funding if they violate the new measure. Republican Governor Bill Lee signed the measure into law on Monday, okay, Monday, June 1st, after it attracted, no, uh, Monday, uh, May 31st, let's say, Monday, May 31st, after it attracted some of the most impassioned debates Inside the GOP controlled General Assembly this year. He signaled his support after he cleared the state legislature, arguing that students should learn, quote unquote, the exceptionalism of our nation. Okay, that was a misquote from um, Fox News. They said the exceptionalism of our nation, new had to be nation. The exceptionalism of our nation, okay, uh, not things that inherently divide people. But critical race theory is not about. Dividing people is understanding how these laws and policies are used to harm non-white people and to maldistribute wealth, power, and resources into the hands of white people, uh, uh, non- uh, into the hands of white people, and to correct this. You have a lot of people who don't want to have this conversation. You had a lot of white people who did not know about the Tulsa race massacre. They just found out about it when. Uh, it was in an episode of The Watchmen, okay, on HBO, and then when you have this commemoration here and this in all the news media, a lot of white people didn't know about it. Yeah, some African-Americans who didn't know about it also, but you had a lot of white people who did not know that the Tulsa Race Massacre took place. And then, as we talked about on yesterday's show, um, Mayor G.T. Bynum, Mayor of Tulsa, Oklahoma, it came out that... Uh, Uh, and and journalists did the research uh, on this, uh, that his family owned 931 slaves. His family started enslaving African people going back to about 1665. And they owned uh, collectively 931 slaves. He came from wealth. Also, he came from uh, a political family because there were a number of mayors in his family as well. So all of this is connected. Uh, politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, the adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. Okay? All this is connected. And racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race, which comes out of the ideology of European white supremacy. And that's for the purpose of preserving genetic white survival. So let me go back to... Uh, Let me go back to this one here. Okay, so this is uh, Governor Bill Lee, um, Republican of Tennessee, just signed the bill and the law Monday, May 31st, 2021, banning the teaching of critical race theory in schools. Uh, Governor Bill Lee said we need to make sure that our kids recognize that this country is moving toward a more perfect union, that we should teach the exceptionalism of our nation, and how people can live together and work together to make a greater nation. You have to deal with history, too. And you have to deal with the history of this country and the history of racism and discrimination and how laws and policies, especially coming from the federal government, were were used to do this. This is the conversation that a lot of white people don't want to have. He went on to say, and to to not teach things that inherently divide or pit uh, either Americans against Americans inherently divide or pit either Americans against Americans or people groups against people groups see he didn't talk about correcting see some are moving, moving towards a more perfect union how you have to correct the laws and policies to do that to correct the laws and policies you have to understand what's wrong with the laws and policies to understand what to correct they don't want to have that conversation really what they want really what they want is for black people to suffer in silence That's really what they want. They don't want to have that conversation. All right, let's go back. I want to go back to uh, this clip here from the two professors breaking down what critical race theory is. Let's go back to the clip, Shakita.
1: Racial identities has provoked rage and resistance and resentment about any conversation regarding race that doesn't center and give privilege and pride of place to colorblindness as an idea. I do think teachers have to be very careful, though, about um, uh, not trying to assign guilt um, uh, um, to, to to young children. I do think that you have to be very developmentally appropriate in terms of how you teach about these issues. Uh, you can't teach it in the same way uh, to, to kindergartners that you do to fifth or sixth graders, right? This culture war around critical race theory is a distraction from the issues of democratic justice and economic justice, uh, and critical race theory, or the word, uh, the the term critical race theory is in the news, largely because of the fact that the Republican Party has uh, decided to use the phrase critical race theory to tee up uh, a culture war. Uh, And it's part of their strategy, obviously, uh, for next year's midterm elections. Uh, And they're really following a page in the playbook that former President Trump uh, used last year when he started mentioning critical race theory uh, at his outdoor rallies. Uh, So let's be real clear. Uh, The people who claim to be opposed to critical race theory actually know very little about critical race theory and care even less about it. My central point, and if you don't take anything else uh, from our conversation, it would be this. A lot of American history hurts, but we have to find a way to teach that history which is not about and doesn't involve blaming people uh, and which does not center around a fault-based narrative of white guilt. Critical race theory is that approach. And what I find so painful and dishonest is the fact that people who do not want to enlarge and diversify uh, the conversation about race in ways that move past the narrative of fault and guilt
3: are scapegoating critical race theory
0: Okay, they are scapegoating critical race theory, and this goes back to Trump in september twenty twenty and he tried to use this as a lightning rod to galvanize support. Uh, Republicans are using this now as a lightning rod to galvanize support because they're not really, Republicans are not pushing policies in general that are beneficial to the majority of Americans. So they're fighting these cultural wars. Okay. And um, critical race theory is one of them. All right. If we look quickly here at this article, um, Thomas said that uh, Kendall Thomas Said a lot of American history hurts, but we have to find a way to teach that history, which is not about and doesn't involve blaming people, and which does and which does not center around a fault based narrative of white of white guilt. Critical race theory is that approach, and what I find so painful and dishonest is, is the fact that people who do not want to enlarge and diversify the conversation about race in ways that move past the narrative of fault and guilt are scapegoating critical race theory. This is something that Kimberly Crenshaw, who's like a a pioneer in critical race theory and coined the term, she talked about this. We played that clip a few days ago where she said that with the social justice movement that took place in uh, the summer 2020, behind the killing of George Floyd and all the protests that were taking place. She says she knew there was going to be a white backlash to that social justice movement. The attack on critical race theory, the attack on the 1619 Project, is that white backlash. Okay? It is that white backlash. And then also, if you look, if you go look at the approval ratings on Black Lives Matter uh, back June, July, of, of twenty twenty when you had like the height basically the height of the protests going on, it had like a sixty percent approval rating now it's dropped down to fifty percent approval rating okay they've lost they've lost ten points, Okay, because you had a lot of white people that said, okay, you know we're sorry about George Floyd, but we don't want to get rid of police you know we don't know we we don't we don't wanna do any of that uh what happened to George Floyd was wrong, but you know we you know we ain't trying to get rid of police okay so <laughs> All right. Uh so read this article here from uh, foxnews.com. University professors hit back against opponents of critical race theory. Okay, I want to go back to um to what we're going to do we uh we're going to go to Muhammad Ali then we'll go to uh, back to um uh the the Tulsa Race Massacre documentary, uh, Tulsa Burning. We'll go back to that. But I want to switch gears and go to Muhammad Ali. So today is the anniversary, uh, the fifth anniversary of the passing of one Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time. He passed away on um, June 3rd, 2016, June 3rd, 2016, okay? And let's see, we're we're going to go to clip two, Shakita. There's, I have articles here from the uh, New York Times and uh, NBC News uh, about the passing of, um, about the passing of Muhammad Ali. Now, there is going to be a, uh, there's a new documentary that's going to show in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, and there was a, uh, today, in, today in Louisville, there was a uh, uh, ceremony held at the grave site of Muhammad Ali also, okay? Uh, we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But uh, I want to go to clip two uh, here, Shakita. This is from MSNBC News. Uh, this is the news that we got uh, five years ago today. Let's go to this clip, Shakita.
1: Lauer had um, the, the great luck and good fortune in life to have been a friend of Muhammad Ali and remained a friend later in life. Matt was close as well to members of the Ali extended family. And tonight for us, Matt Lauer has a look back. I am the king of the world. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Hold it, hold it you're not that pretty. I'm a bad man. He called himself the greatest. He was both adored and at times scorned.: He had a, a lot of threats against him, but with superior skill and a unique style of boxing. Like of five, 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 five. Muhammad Ali became a cultural icon.: oh, I'm so grateful oh, I'm so. Grateful. Angelo Dundee, Ali's trainer and cornerman for over 21 years, passed away in 2012, but was with Ali during some of his most memorable fights. Or he had to put a mic in his puss. He was sensational. I mean, he was so good, Muhammad. Muhammad Ali was born Cassius Clay on January 17, 1942, in Louisville, Kentucky. When he was 12 years old, his bicycle was stolen. He was so angry that he vowed to whoop whomever stole it. That determination propelled Clay to win two national Golden Glove titles and qualify for the U.S. team at the 1960 Olympics in Rome. I met Cassius in 1958. In 58, he told me he was going to win the Olympics. He won the Olympics in 60. Clay wore his gold medal for two days straight, though he would later throw it into the Ohio River, disillusioned by his second-class treatment when he returned home. With the Olympics behind him, he began his professional boxing career. His first big test was against heavyweight champion Sonny Liston. It was also the first time many would hear Clay's effortless ability to compose a rhyme.
0: If you like to lose your money, then be a fool and bet on Sunday.
1: Liston was heavily favored, but in the end, Clay proved prophetic. They might be stopping us, that might be all. At Get 22 years old, Get Clay became the youngest heavyweight champion. I took up the world! I took up the world! He quickly shook up the world again by announcing he had joined the nation of Islam and changed his name.
0: Cash and play slave name. I'm no longer a slave.
1: The cash is Ali's declaration father. became a lightning rod, with many refusing to acknowledge his new name. Why would you say but that? But Howard Cosell, because a rising sportscaster, fiercely it. defended Ali's decision, saying they wanted another Joe Lewis, a white man's black man. Instead, they got Ali. A man who would not conform, regardless of the consequences. At the height of the Vietnam War, Ali refused to serve, declaring himself a conscientious objector and famously saying, I ain't got no quarrel with them Viet Cong. This is his choice, and, you know, every man has a choice of his own religion and beliefs. Convicted of draft evasion, he was stripped of his heavyweight title and banned from boxing. Mohammed teaches us. For the next 3 years he traveled around the country preaching the principles of Islam and speaking out on race relations. We black people in America are fighting the same common enemy. In 1970 his conviction was overturned and Ali, now 30 years old, was allowed back into the ring. Who you all to tell With a couple of wins under his belt, his next opponent Current heavyweight champion, Joe Frazier. An explosive left to the jaw, and Muhammad Ali goes down. Ali suffers his first professional defeat. Determined to reclaim the title, he trains harder than ever. An epic fight soon follows. In Zaire, fumble in the jungle. Ali wins the title. Please. Then, the thriller in Manila. The third and final fight with Frazier. So, gonna... Ali would eventually become boxing's first three-time heavyweight champion. In 1981, with 56 wins and only five losses, he retires at the age of 39. His agility and speech pattern now noticeably different. Didn't realize, uh, uh, scientific and quicker was. Just three years after retiring, Ali was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And for the rest of his life, that disease would affect his movements and eventually silence his voice. I believe all of you remember Muhammad's pre-Parkinson's days when he moved millions with his vibrant voice and his poetic expression. His <laughs> surprise appearance does not to take the limit would move the world once again 3.5 billion people watched and the camp delivered another great moment this was a moment for the whole world <laughs> lee was married four times including current wife Lonnie, his partner for more than 25 years he also had nine children seven daughters and here's sons. All of them, he called, a gift from God. Ali wrote that he'd like to be remembered as a man who tried to be a good father, who stood up for his relief. Muhammad Ali, the greatest. Those of you who generationally may be new to the life and times... Okay.
0: Okay. That was from June third, uh, twenty sixteen. Day we got the news that the champ, the greatest of all time, uh passed away. So you see I'm wearing my commemorative uh Muhammad Ali shirt. It says the greatest celebrating the life of Muhammad Ali, the greatest, nineteen forty-two to twenty sixteen. Okay, I don't even remember where I got this shirt from. <laughs> Um I, I think I got it in twenty sixteen. I don't remember where I got this shirt from, right? I forgot I had this shirt. I was going through I was going through clothes, throwing clothes out and rearranging things and, and I, I saw this shirt. I totally forgot I had this shirt. I have other Muhammad Ali shirts, but I said I'm wearing this one today. Okay. So uh <laughs> we missed uh, the champ the greatest. Um there's an article from uh, W-L-K-Y in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, remembering Muhammad Ali five years after his death, ceremony held at his grave site. Ceremony held at his grave site. Uh, five years after the death of the greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali, he's being remembered with a celebration of his life and legacy. We're gonna go to clip three in just a second, Ash-Kita. Uh He's being remembered with a celebration of his life and legacy. At a private ceremony at his Louisville gravesite, several of his family members, including his wife Lonnie Ali, were in attendance for a private ceremony. And you can watch. Uh, we'll post the link here. You can watch the private ceremony. They have a, a link here in the article. Um, Lonnie, his wife Lonnie Ali, said he set the example for all of us while he was alive. More than ever, we all need to be like Muhammad. And I will be the first to admit it is hard to be like Muhammad. OK, uh, Ali's brother, Rockman, uh, choked up. He, he broke down crying. Um, uh, uh, Rockman Ali. Uh, he, he said that he said, as uh meaning peace be unto you in Arabic. And let's see, uh, the, uh, some of uh, Ali's grandchildren spoke as well. Now, there is going to be a, uh, let's see, Thursday kicks off in the annual Ali Festival in Louisville Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, which is taking place from June 3rd to June 13th, okay, Ali Festival. And there's a new documentary uh, that comes out Friday, at the, and they're going to show this at the Muhammad Ali Center, um, Friday, uh, June 4th at the Muhammad Ali Center uh, there in Louisville, located at 144 North 6th Street. It's called City of Ali, City of Ali. Uh, Let's let's go to clip three, Shakita.
1: Service to others is the rent you pay for your room in heaven. It's a famous Muhammad Ali saying that was invoked by many who spoke at the private ceremony and who say it is needed now more than ever. Family and friends rushed to comfort Muhammad Ali's brother, Rahman, who said, peace be upon you, in Arabic. I love you all. You guys, people. Y'all being happy together one day. They say what Ali really fought for was peace. Muhammad never allowed himself to get mired down in differences in political or social social ideologies, religious differences, petty jealousies, or even hate. He always managed to rise above. They remembered the citywide procession on the day of Ali's funeral, in which thousands turned out to honor Ali. From my perspective in the procession, it felt like we were literally floating down the street on a sea of love. Let's renew that same sense of peace, unity, and purpose we all showed together and a new generation shared the lessons they learned from the greatest of all time. My grandfather was a man who loved other people, and when he called himself beautiful. And when he called himself great, he said that very much as a black man in a country that told him that he should not believe such. And when he said those things, he said things for the people of this world who've been told that they are not beautiful. As a world, we could look at Muhammad, his legacy and his life, we could become a better world. Mark Van der WLKY News. Mark, thank you. Starting today, the Muhammad Ali Center kicked off its 10-day Ali fest. There will be daily screenings of the new documentary, City of Ali, which captures the citywide procession and other events in Louisville after his passing. More information about the different activities happening there the next 10 days, head on over to our website, WLKY.com, or check out our free mobile app.
0: Okay, that is uh, from WLKY in uh louisville kentucky all right Uh, i want to switch gears here and talk some more about um the documentary that aired uh sunday may 30th on the history channel uh tulsa burning Okay, the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre. And as I said, you know, I saw I saw it three times and then uh, I'm going back and started watching uh well the fourth time that I'm watching it um taking notes. I made middle notes the first three times. The fourth time, uh I'm taking notes. So we're going to discuss that uh for a few more minutes here and continue that discussion on Friday's show. Now, I'll be on Roland Martin Unfiltered uh, on Friday, so we'll talk about that. I'll be a panelist uh, again. I'm a panelist each Friday on uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered. So, we'll discuss uh, some of those topics uh, here on Friday's show. Uh, I want to remind you that I will be speaking and I was about to say Louisville, Kentucky, but it's not Louisville, Kentucky. I'll be speaking in Atlanta. It'll be in the South. <laughs> I'll be speaking in Atlanta. Um, I'll be at the 9th Annual Juneteenth um, Festival, uh, Parade, and Music Festival. Nineteenth, 9th uh, Annual Juneteenth uh, Atlanta Parade and Music Festival. Okay, This is taking place this year at Centennial Olympic Park. And visit JuneteenthATL.com, JuneteenthATL.com for more information. It's a fantastic, fantastic three day event. They have a huge parade. They really celebrate. I mean, you would think Juneteenth started in Atlanta the way they do it. Okay, the first year I went, it just totally blew my mind. Thousands of people come through. People know about the parade, they know about the music festival. Bob Johnson and uh, Brad Lewis—they do—and their whole team—they do a fantastic, fantastic job. I talked to Bob uh, a few days ago, and Brad Lewis—they're getting everything together. Uh, they have uh, headliner acts again this year. Angie Stone is performing R&B, songstress Angie Stone is performing. They, you know, they have um, the vendors. They'll have—they uh, usually have about a hundred uh, to a hundred and thirty uh, vendors each year. African American. African Caribbean vendors okay and the African History Network will be there as well so be sure to come uh, visit uh, my vendor booth I'll be speaking on Saturday um, Saturday June 19th and Sunday June 20th at the amphitheater uh, 3 p.m. both days 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. I'll be speaking both days okay so Uh, Be sure to come check me out. It's it's free. It's a free event open to the public. Um, And you can visit their website, JuneteenthATL.com. They definitely need donations. They definitely need support. Uh, It's June 8, Friday, June 18th through Sunday, June 20th. They have uh, the times of the events. Uh, Friday, it's 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. Saturday, 10 uh, 10 a.m. to 11 p.m. Sunday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. And uh the parade uh, is on Saturday, June 19th. Parade starts at 12 noon on Auburn Avenue. Visit their website, Juneteenth ATL, for more information, the times of the of the acts and everything. Uh I'll be there all day, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'll, I'll have my vendor booth. Uh, we'll have uh DVD lectures. You can come talk to me. As well. And then I'll be doing presentations dealing with some of the history of Juneteenth. A lot of people really don't understand the history of Juneteenth, but I'll connect the history of Juneteenth. We'll talk about the Civil War. We'll talk about Dr. King. um, Dr. King's speech and his interview in 1967 uh, on NBC News, where he dealt with beyond civil rights, black power. and He talked about the black power movement. Then I'll connect that to Malcolm X and Malcolm X, the Battle of the Bullet. We'll talk about Malcolm X. Uh, meeting Dr. King for the first and only time, March 26, 1964. We'll do all, all of that and how Malcolm was calling for a unification of the civil rights leaders while, uh, he was still in the Nation of Islam. Okay. Uh, so you come check me out, uh, on Saturday and Sunday. And we'll put, put we'll post this information at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, also, okay. Uh, we are uh, those watching on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, and my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotel. Keep watching. We'll keep broadcasting for a few more minutes. Right now, it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. we will kind of forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow night. Peace. All right, stand by. We're out of time. We're out of time on 9:10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. We're going to keep going here for a few more minutes. Uh, if you'd like to stop information, you can support the African History Network dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App or through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Now, if you saw the Facebook post that I did today, you've heard me say this before. When you do this through Cash App, be sure to type in dollar sign the AHN show, S H O W, because somebody set up a fake uh, African History Network Cash App account and they've been stealing money from us. So uh, as you see here, Uh, the two fake accounts are clearly, uh, 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 are are clearly marked. Okay. Uh, mine is the one that says Michael and it shows my picture and it says dollar sign, the AHN show, S H O W. So that's why I say when you, when you go to our, when you, if you punch it in manually, be sure to type in that W it takes you to my account. That's my cash app account. These other two are fake they're stealing money from us. I've already reported them to uh, Cash App and I'm trying to follow up to see what other measures I can take. But uh, you, you see the one that has the A H N S H O with no W? That's a fake account. That's not me. The other one is using our logo. That's a fake account. That's not me. Okay. If you have donated to these two fake accounts, Uh, in, when you go to your cash app account, click on, uh, I think it's problem with payment. Okay. Choose which payment you sent to them is a problem with whatever you sent to them is a problem with the next option. Choose. I've been scammed. Report them to Facebook. I mean, report them to, uh, uh, cash app and ask for your money back because I had this happen with two people and one just happened today and they, and she said, I've been sending money to the fake account. So I told her the process, and, and this happened a couple months ago. This is how I first found out about it. And I, I reported them, um, you know, some time ago. But uh, a couple months ago when I first found out about it, uh, the, the system went through the process, and they sent our money back to her. Cash App sent her money back to her, okay? So if you sent money to these two fake accounts, all right, go through the process, through Cash App, ask them to send your money back, tell them you were scammed, all right? That's not me. Okay, that's why you hear me say, type in dollar sign the AHN show S H O W, and it'll say Michael, and you see my picture. That's that's what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, let's continue. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the documentary dealing with uh, Black Wall Street. Also, you can support us through PayPal, paypal paypal.me forward slash the AHN Show course. And we have that information at our website, africanhistorynetwork.com. Cash App is good as long as it goes to the right account. So the documentary is um, fantastic. It's a fantastic, fantastic documentary. And, of course, watching something like this is bittersweet. Now it's uh, it's not as traumatic for me. It's not as traumatic as a slave movie, but it's it's bittersweet because I know what happened. You know, I understand the history. I know what happened. But the caveat is that we rebuilt uh, Greenwood with our own dollars. We we re- 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 we rebuilt Greenwood with our own dollars. Okay, And the expressways came through and destroyed, uh, restored it again, but we did rebuild it with our own dollars so there was a uh, a really good article from history.com official website of the history channel and this deals with uh, nine entrepreneurs who helped build Tulsa's black wall street nine entrepreneurs who helped build Tulsa's black wall street okay uh so i'm going to pull up this article here and, oh, you know, all this is taking place, I'm getting ready, you know, Monday is my 50th birthday, I'm getting ready for that, so I did a Facebook post today, you know, talking about that, a lot of people said they thought I was younger, right, no, <laughs> no, I was born in 1971, I'll, I'll be 50 on Monday, June 7th, so, <laughs> all, yeah, then with all this, I'm trying to get ready to, you know, put things in place to uh, uh, go to Atlanta, but let me pull up this article here. Uh, we talked about this on yesterday's show and we're going to continue that discussion. Uh, nine entrepreneurs who helped build Tulsa's black wall street. Okay. Nine entrepreneurs who helped build Tulsa's black wall street. And also be sure to, I forget, I forgot to say earlier, Well, I talked about a little bit earlier. Um, you can still register for the online course that I teach on, uh, Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. Okay, this is a nine-week. Uh, we may have to do 10 weeks this time because I talked to Dr. David M. Hotep today. He was out of time. He was, uh, he was on vacation. I figured he was on vacation as many times as I called him. He was on vacation for three weeks. And on Saturday, June 12th, he's going to be speaking to my class once again. He lit the class up back in March when he spoke to the class. We're going to have Dr. David M. Hotep, author of The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. He's going to be speaking to my class again on June 12th, okay? But this is a nine-week online course. We may have to do 10 weeks because... We're adding in Dr. David M. Hotel. We have to do 10 weeks. Hey? You just get an extra week free. That's all. You know, <laughs> it's fine with me, okay? But we deal with thousands of years of history, and we deal with what led up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. So all the – um, we do the classes live. They are all recorded. So you can go back and watch them over and over again. The class is 54% off right now. It's regularly $130. It's on sale $60 because we're about halfway through the class. As soon as you register, you can watch last Saturday's class. You can also watch the class we did a couple of weeks ago with archaeologist Nubia Wardford. Nubia Wardford is an archaeologist, and African-American female archaeologist, and we dealt with um, um, the, uh, the, the origins of ancient Kush and the African queens of antiquity the origins of ancient Kush and the African queens of antiquity, okay? So if you go to our website, africanhistorynetwork.com, you see information for the radio show here. You can listen to audio podcasts on my shows. I just uploaded uh, a podcast today of uh, yesterday's show. You can read articles I've written here as well. I need to write some more articles. I've been so busy. Uh, We have the information here. Next class is June 5th. Next class is Saturday, June 5th click right here to register it takes you to the next page click here to enroll okay as soon as you enroll classes on sale sixty dollars as soon as you enroll you can start watching the content alright you can watch them around the world you can even watch the, even after the course is over you still have access to the course content you can still watch it you can share this with your children this gives you information when you come out of this class this will give you information that you can help your children uh... when it comes to history when it comes to learning history Etc. Okay, so we deal with thousands of years of history. We deal with ancient Africa, ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt, Nubia, uh Ta-Nehisi, Ethiopia, now Valley region of Africa. Dr. David M. Hotep is going to talk about the ancient African presence in this land we call the United States of America going back at least 51,700 years ago. He's going to talk about new research as well. He'll talk about his new book that's coming out. He's working on his new book. It should be out soon. He has to get the um, I'm trying to connect him with somebody who uh, can do his footnotes and his index for him. That's what he needs. Uh, I've, I have put him in contact with a publisher here in Detroit, but uh, he's self-publishing because he had a problem with his previous publisher. That's why this book. That's why the first book is out of print. OK, if you if you buy if you buy from Amazon, it's eight hundred, nine hundred dollars. It's not Dr. David M. Hotel selling it. That's somebody else. Okay, this book is the first book is out of print. Came out in 2011. So he's working on his second book. He's going to be speaking to our class. Uh, our class on June 12th, but our next class is June 5th. Okay, so you can go ahead and register now. You can start watching the course content. You'll be ready for our class Saturday, June 12th, 12 noon to 2 p.m. East, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Watch from around the world. We may go 20 minutes over, something like that. If you have to leave, that's fine. You can come back and finish watching. And then you'll be ready for Dr. David M. Hotel on Saturday, June 12th. Okay. So, um, register for that. And when you support the African History Network, whether you buy our DVD lectures, digital downloads, register for an online class, uh, support us through Cash up or PayPal. That helps us keep doing the research, keep broadcasting six days a week. Cause I, you know, I, through radio, I'm on 910. I don't, they don't pay me to do radio. Okay, so I have to generate revenue to, to take care of all this stuff. Okay, I don't get paid to do radio, it's an opportunity, but they don't pay me. So, uh, that helps support us, helps do the research, helps me get back to and from Atlanta as well because I got to pay for that. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Okay, so we've got we have Michael, we have Loretta, we have Tony. Uh, Eric, Shirley, how's everybody doing? Okay. All right, so let's continue here. So register for the class and we'll see your class on Saturday. Uh, I want to go to this here. Let's go to this article. And this ties into uh, my notes. Talked about this article yesterday. It's a fascinating article from history.com. Nine entrepreneurs who help build Tulsa's Black Wall Street. Nine entrepreneurs who help build Tulsa's Black Wall Street. Okay. Um how you doing, Eric?
3: I'm gonna talk some more about these pioneers today. Let me pull this up here.
0: So how many of y'all saw the documentary on uh, the History Channel?
3: Also Race Massacre on the History Channel.
0: It's one of the best documentaries I've seen dealing with um, uh, the Tulsa race massacre in Black Wall Street. So this documentary, uh, as I said yesterday, is uh, executive produced by NBA superstar and philanthropist Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook and is directed by award-winning director Stanley Nelson and uh, Marco Williams, okay? Documentary commemorates the 100th anniversary of the horrific Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921, one of the worst acts of racial violence, one of the worst acts of uh, racial violence, um, uh, one of the worst acts of racial violence in American history and calls attention to the previously ignored but necessary a repair of a town once devastated. In the 1920s the Greenwood district of Tulsa, Oklahoma, also known as Black Wall Street, was one of the most prosperous African American communities in the United States. Okay? All right, so let's look at this quickly. And okay, now if you haven't seen it, uh, if you go to history.com and you can just search for uh, actually you know what? I'm going to post I'll post the link here. You can watch it. If you go to history.com uh, just search for a Tulsa Race Massacre. Uh, Tulsa burn in 1921 race massacre. You search for that. And they'll ask you, you have to have cable. Uh, they'll ask for like your cable account number, you know, account number with Xfinity or whoever you have service with, you know, to make sure you have service and you can watch it there. Also on YouTube, uh at history.com. Uh they have some clips of it there at history.com as well. I mean it's on, on YouTube, uh on the History Channel's YouTube channel. They have uh, uh some clips of it there that you can watch. Let me post this link here. This is to the page at history.com and you can watch it there. I recorded it and they'll probably show it again. Uh so you can search for it in your cable listings. and uh, and record it, okay? All right, all right, Shanika and Rashad. All right, thanks. So, yesterday we talked about J.B. Stratford, and we also, um, and uh, I wanna talk about, we talked about A.J. Smitherman as well. Today we'll talk um, about education and entrepreneurship. Let's see here, JB Strafford. We talked about JB Strafford yesterday. Education and entrepreneurship in uh, in uh, Greenwood. Now this is a picture of Lula Cotton Williams. Lula, Cato, Lula Cato Cotton Williams. Standing third from the left. Third from uh be up here, I think. Okay, third from the left, is pictured with her parents and siblings, uh, circa nineteen oh two. She later relocated to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where she and her husband, John Wesley Williams, owned and operated the Dreamland Theater. The Dream Dreamland Theater. Okay. And there's a famous picture of them in, um,
3: in a car. And I'll pull that up. This picture right here.
0: That's Lula. uh, That's John and Lula Williams. Okay, it's a famous, famous uh, picture. They owned actually uh, three theaters, including the Dreamland Theater in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the Greenwood District. Okay, so let's look at this, and then I'll, I'll refer to my notes. I'll work my notes in here because we're on page three of my notes. Uh, education also drew Uh, African-American families to Greenwood in, uh, to Greenwood in 1913. In 1913, Booker T. Washington High School opened hiring Ellis Walker Woods, Ellis Walker Woods as its principal. A beloved educator who would serve in that role for 35 years. Ellis Walker Woods, who was college educated walked, walked from Memphis to Oklahoma after seeing a flyer advertising for black teachers in Oklahoma, okay? This is 1913, so Oklahoma is a state in the union. Oklahoma became a state in the union in uh, 1907, all right? And you have people still coming from uh, the South, African Americans fleeing from Terrorism in the South, looking for a better way of life. Now they're going to meet after uh, Oklahoma becomes a state in the Union. They're going to meet terrorism in Oklahoma, but they still have more opportunities. Oil was discovered in Tulsa in 1905. Uh, you have a, a, about 50 African American townships uh, that exist in in Tulsa, and a lot of those early landowners, African American landowners, got land. From the Black Freeman Indian Treaties of 1866 that we talked about yesterday, and the Dawes Allotment Act, okay, that we talked about. So you have all this opportunity taking place, and they also want education as well, okay. But but the thing, uh, this brother walked from um, Memphis, Tennessee to Oklahoma. All right. Uh, incidentally, speaking of Memphis, we talked about this in our class on Saturday. This past Saturday. This is the type of information we deal with.
3: Um, Some people may ask
0: what's the relationship between Memphis, Tennessee, and Memphis in Egypt? Okay, now some people may say, "Oh, there's no relationship. You know, they just it's just a coincidence, um, what have you?" Right? Let's look at this. Let's go to Britannica. Britannica.com.
3: If I can close this ad out. Hold on. Let me pull this up.
0: Okay, let's go to Britannica.com very quickly here for well, Memphis, Tennessee, since we since we mentioned Tennessee. All this history is connected. Memphis, Tennessee, Memphis, Tennessee, United States, right? So we look at the history. Memphis uh, City, seat 1819 of Shelby County, um, Extreme Southwestern Tennessee. It lies on the Chickasaw Bluffs above the Mississippi River, okay, dealing with the Chickasaw Native Americans. If we scroll down here, history. History of Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. Spanish explorer Hernando de Soto visited the area in 1514. The French visited in 1739. The Spanish visited in 1795. Uh, They built forts, briefly existed on the site. And in 1797, the United States built Fort Adams there. 1797, the United States built Fort Adams. Memphis. Tennessee was founded in 1819 on land previously inhabited by Chickasaw Indians, Chickasaw Native Americans. The white supremacist president, Andrew Jackson, who signed the Indian Removal Act of 1830 on May 28, 1830, okay, that Andrew Jackson, Donald Trump's favorite president, imagine that,
3: doesn't surprise me. Andrew Jackson
0: who later became a US president was one of the founders of Memphis, Tennessee. Was one of the founders of Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, Tennessee was named for the ancient Egyptian city, Memphis, meaning place of good abode, place of good abode. Memphis, Tennessee was co-founded by Andrew Jackson and it was named after Memphis in Egypt. What did they know about Egypt? Well, we do know that 50 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Freemasons. Tony Browder deals with this in Egypt on the Potomac. We do know that the founding fathers referred to this land as Egypt of the West. And let me see. Let's go to... Who we want to go to. Let's go to this one right here. Just, just for a minute here. Since we, since we talked about Memphis, we talked about Memphis. So it was right here. Memphis, Tennessee, is named after Memphis in Egypt, or what used to be called Kemet, land of the blacks.
3: Uh,
0: uh, Andrew Jackson owned slaves. Memphis is in Africa. Think about this. Think about. Uh, hold on. Why would a white supremacist slave owner name a city that he co-founded after a city in black Africa? Let's look at this for a second here. All this history is connected. And as Dr. John Henrik Clark taught us, all history is a current event. Everything that's ever happened continues to happen in some shape, form, or fashion. All history is a current event. If we look at, uh, Egypt by the West, here we go. Let's look at this slide. This is from, uh, because in the online course, I do a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, we we do PowerPoint presentation. We have, uh, video clips, book references, articles, guest speakers, things like that. But, If we look at, let's go go here, pull this up right here. Egypt of the West. We talked about this uh, in this past Saturday's class. So when you register for the class, you're gonna get uh, that information here dealing with uh, ancient Kemet. And this leads then into the history of the Moors. So you have the Tekken, right? The obelisk, the Washington Monument. The Washington Monument is an ancient African symbol called a Tekken. The Tekken is one of the largest symbols of resurrection, coming from the story of Osar, Osset, and Heru, who the Greeks called Osiris, Isis, and Horus, okay, coming from uh, uh, that mythology. And the, the, there are about 1,200 Tekken new all throughout ancient Kemet. Today, there are about 12 or so. Uh, the Some have been destroyed. Others have been taken to Istanbul, Turkey, and Paris, France, and Different things like this. But the Washington Monument is a Tekken. The Greeks call it an obelisk. Okay? And we see a sorrow set in Heru, uh, also known. Now this may go outside the circumference of some people's awareness. Just because you never heard it before, disagree with it, does not mean it's not true. It just means you have to do some research to understand what I'm talking about. So This is the first holy trinity, Asar, Aset, and Heru. We know Heru, born of a virgin birth, uh, on December 25th to Aset. But if we read uh, Egypt on the Potomac by Tony Brown, and this is one of the books I reference in the course. You don't have to buy any of these books, but I use them for reference if you want to use them for your your home library. These are good to use with your children as well, okay? Um, And, you know, if your children have, now if you, Like, if you want some articles for your children to ask their teachers about, I got some articles. I got a ton of stuff. You know, uh, this stuff should be taught in school. Also in school, and one of the things I use in the course, and I recommend you share this with your children's teachers. This study here from the Southern Poverty Law Center, Teaching Hard History of American Slavery. Teaching Hard History of American Slavery. Every school across the country should use to study. Now, this doesn't mean this is the only thing they should use to teach from history, but this gives a lot of guidance. One of the things it tells you to do is don't do mock slave auctions and don't do reenactments of slavery and things like this because it's traumatizing students, especially African-American students, okay? Teaching Hard History of American Slavery. You can download this study from the Southern Poverty Law Center, splcenter.org, splcenter.org. It is a... Um, It is a about a fifty two page study that documents how the history of slavery is being incorrectly taught in schools all across the country, and how to more correctly teach that history. Okay, but uh, Tony broader talks about on uh, page seven of Egypt on the Potomac. Okay, seventeen, page seventeen. Uh, there were approximately twelve hundred Tekenu, Tekenu for plural, approximately twelve hundred Tekenu built in ancient Kemet, but. Only about a dozen are found in Egypt today. Many of the Tekkenu removed from uh, Egypt are now Istanbul, Istanbul, Turkey, London, England, Paris, France, Berlin, Germany, New York, New York, Rome, Italy, Vatican City, and elsewhere throughout the world. The Tekkenu are now called obelisks by their new owners and few know their origin or that they symbolize the resurrection of the African king Asar. Who the Greeks called Osiris. Now, this ties into Freemasonry because 50 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Freemasons, and 13 of the 39 signers of the US Constitution were Freemasons. The word Mason is derived from the Latin, Latin words Mass and Sun. Mason means child of light and expresses the desire to pursue light, which is a metaphor for the Sun which symbolizes knowledge okay so for eons uh light or you know light or sun uh, the sun or something like this was associated with knowledge even when you watch cartoons and a little cartoon character whether it's dot mix or you know um the um uh paw patrol my daughter likes paw patrol i never heard of paw patrol until she started singing the song the theme song you know if they get a, a bright idea a light bulb will go off over their head right bright idea bright associated with knowledge if you have a child in school that is not bright you may say that's a dim with a child dim uh less light or absence of light dim with it okay so we see light associated with knowledge and darkness associated with ignorance this is why when you talk about the dark ages You're dealing with a period of ignorance in Europe. And it's going to be the teachings from the African Moors that bring Europeans out of the dark ages. And the next age they go into is the Renaissance age, the age of enlightenment, light, L-I-G-H-T, enlightenment. Okay, awakening, knowledge, Uh, the term child of light or sons and daughters of light. was first used to identify students who had completed 42 years of study in the temples of ancient kemet many masonic temples were modeled after the temples of kemet places where light or knowledge was imparted in a series of steps or degrees so the the concept of the the liberal arts colleges and all this comes out of ancient kemet comes out of the 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 mystery system and the mystery schools um the the seven liberal arts that were taught the arithmetic and the And the rhetoric and different things like this, the trivium and the quadrivium, the three and the four that George G.M. James talks about in uh, Stolen Legacy, okay? And when you go to institutions of higher learning, you go to colleges, you get your credentials in a series of degrees, in a series of degrees, associate's degree, bachelor's degree, master's degree, PhD. And then when we look at Freemasonry, you have a series of degrees, The highest degree is 33 degrees, which is uh, less than one tenth of 360 degrees because ancient Africans were dealing in in, in the lodges, in the temples. They're dealing with 360 degrees of knowledge and the Greek and Roman soldiers and and Browder deals with this in Nile Valley contributions to civilization. The Greek and Roman soldiers, when they study these teachings, they're going to learn less than 10 percent of what the ancient Africans knew. They're going to learn less than 10%. 10% would be 36. They learn less than 10%. This is why the highest level in Freemasonry is 33 degrees in Freemasonry. That's less than 10%. Okay. So Masonic temples are considered houses of light or temples of learning. Houses of light or temples of learning. The term Mason means child of light, is a direct reference to the highest degree of the Kemetic education system in ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt. The 33 degrees of instruction within Masonry or Freemasonry represent a fraction of the 360 degrees of instruction that comprise the Kemetic system of education. I forgot this was the next slide. It's just... Yeah, I know the information. I just forgot. It was the next slide. right? The 33 degrees of instruction within masonry represent a fraction of the 360 degrees of instruction that comprise the Kemetic system of education. Yet with less than 10 percent of the wisdom of ancient Kemet, Freemasons have held positions of influence and power throughout the world for over 200 years. OK, read page 33 of Egypt on the Potomac by Tony Browder. It's a deep, deep book, okay? I use that in uh, in the class. Uh, 50 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Freemasons, and 13 of the 39 signers of the U.S. Constitution were Freemasons. Uh, four of the first five U.S. presidents were Freemasons as well, and 14 presidents uh, to date have been Freemasons. Read page 18 of Egypt on a Potomac by Tony Browder, all right? Uh, so th- so that, that that ties into, I brought that up because that ties into uh memphis tennessee being named after memphis in egypt and andrew jackson a white supreme slave owner who was also an indian killer and who signed the indian removal act of 1830 which pushes the choctaw chickasaw creek cherokee and seminole indians off their land in the southeastern united states and they all go out west in the oklahoma what's known as the trail of tears and they take their african slaves with them because one-third of the people on the trail of tears were africans Okay, that's Andrew Jackson that signs it, signs it in the law, and this ties into the origins of Tulsa, Oklahoma, because Tulsa, as I've said before, Tulsa was founded by Creek Indians around 1834, who get pushed off their land in the southeastern United States and take their African slaves with them. And a lot of the early African American landowners in Tulsa got land because of those Black Freedman Indian treaties of 1866 and the Dawes Allotment Act of 1887. So all this history is connected. Okay. But you you sit back and you look at this and you say, Okay, even though Andrew Jackson was enslaving African people, there was still some type of reverence for Africa. He may, have, he may have said, oh, the Egyptians are white, but, you know,
3: it's still in Africa.
0: So Memphis, Tennessee was named for the ancient Egyptian city, Memphis, meaning place of good abode. Okay, check this out at um, Britannica.com, official website of Encyclopedia Britannica. Just look for Memphis at Britannica.com. All right, let's go quickly back to this article here from um, History.com. This deals with nine entrepreneurs, nine entrepreneurs who helped build Tulsa's Black Wall Street, nine entrepreneurs who helped build Tulsa's Black Wall Street. I'm going to post the link here also again, you can register for uh, my Saturday online course Nine week online course, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. Okay. So let's look at this here. Okay, so um, Ellis Walker Woods, Ellis Walker Woods walked from Omaha, uh, walk from uh, Memphis, Tennessee to Oklahoma after seeing a flyer advertising for black teachers in Oklahoma. Now, Simon Berry, who was a pilot, responded to uh, Tulsa's Whites Only Taxi Service, Tulsa's Whites Only Taxi Service, by starting his own with a Model T Ford. Then expanding operations to include uh, a bus line and later a charter plane service for wealthy oilmen, okay so he's going start out, he's going to start a taxi service with the Model T Ford, then expands operations to include a bus line and later a charter plane service for wealthy oil men. Now, John and Lula Williams became some of the wealthiest African-Americans in Tulsa. They owned the Dreamland Theater on Greenwood Avenue along with a rooming house and confectionery uh, uh, commercial, uh, along with a confectionery a uh, candy shop uh, and a commercial rental property and a garage. And let me see. They have. Uh, okay. Lula Williams. Was very much. A partner in all of the couple's businesses. And other women in Greenwood. Became entrepreneurs too. You have Mabel Little. From Boley, Oklahoma. Who arrived in Tulsa in 1913. With $1.25. In her pocket. $1.25. In her pocket. Uh, Mabel Little lived to be 104 years old and survived the Tulsa race massacre. She opened a successful hair salon and worked in the beauty business for decades. She opened a hair salon and worked in the beauty business for decades. Although now this is now this is part of the story that's not talked about because you everybody everybody in, in uh, Greenwood wasn't wealthy. You had some poor people who lived in Greenwood. You had domestics, maids and butlers that worked for white people in South Tulsa. And Thursday nights was known as a maids night out, maids night out. So the maids would go out to the clubs and things like this in Tulsa and the restaurants and spend money that they got from the white people. Hannibal, Hannibal B. Johnson talks about that in this book here. One of the best books dealing with the history of Black Wall Street, Black Wall Street from Riot to Renaissance, in Tulsa's historic Greenwood District. Okay, he deals with that in this book. So now I was doing my research back in 2014, because I did a, a two and a half hour lecture. I was speaking in Seattle, Washington, at a bookstore. And I did a two and a half hour lecture dealing with the history of Tulsa, dealing with a timeline of history leading up to the 1921 attack, dealing with the ancient African presence in this land as well, talking about the the uh, Black Freeman Indian Treaties and the Indian Removal Act of 1830, all that. This is a two and a half hour lecture idea. This, it's at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, Black Wall Street from Destruction to the Resurrection of Economic Empowerment. Okay. And we have this on DVD and digital download. It's $10 on DVD, $8 on digital download at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. But you had some poor people there as well, some people who were struggling. A lot of the businesses only employed a few number of people, you know, three, five, seven people. They weren't all big oil businesses, things like that. Okay. But you did have wealthy people there in uh, North Tulsa as well. Now, although wealthy African-Americans lived in Greenwood, plenty still struggled working menial jobs and living in shanties. But the money they spent in the district helped build the community. The money they spent in the district helped build the community. Now, uh, people working outside the district, particularly the domestics, the housekeepers, cooks, nannies, or the ushers, and the uh, magnificent art deco theaters or bellhops, or the ushers at the magnificent art deco theaters or bellhops, At the great hotels would get paid and then return to Greenwood with their money, says Michelle Place, executive director. Of the Tulsa Historical Society and Museum. Quote, with segregation, they can't spend their money anywhere else. They can make their money out of the district, but they can't spend there, but they can't spend it there, end quote. All right, so check out the rest of this article here from history.com, official website of the History Channel. Nine entrepreneurs who helped build Tulsa's Black Wall Street. Nine entrepreneurs who helped build Tulsa's uh, Black Wall Street. Okay, if we. I'm going to go back to my notes very quickly, and then we have to get out of here because I have a lot of work to do. All right. Now, also, if you'd like to stop the information, uh, like I said once again, you can support the African History Network dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, or through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Paypal.me forward slash the AHN show is also at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. When you do it through Cash App, uh, send it uh, my account. It shows my name, Michael, and shows my picture. It says Dollar Sign The AHN Show S H O W. That's the real account. These other accounts are fake accounts. Okay, they don't say Dollar Sign The AHN Show S H O W as the actual tag. These are fake accounts. They've been stealing money from me. I've already report, I've already reported them to Cash App. If you sent money before to these fake accounts all you have to do is look at the actual Cash App tag and it shows, has my name Michael, and shows my picture here. This is the real one. Okay also I set mine up in December 2019. These were set up in 2020. 2020 or 2021 whatever. Okay so these are the fake accounts. If you send it to one of these fake accounts let Cash App know please. Okay, let them know you were scammed, and uh, tell them send send them your money back. All right. So, let me go to my notes here. Um, page three of my notes. Okay, so we talked about Edwin P. McCabe. Edwin P. McCabe was, was known as a booster. A booster is going to market, send out flyers, things like this, market to people outside of the state of Tulsa to come into Tulsa to make your fortune, own land, different things like this because we're trying to escape terrorism in uh, the South. We're trying to escape terrorism in the South. So we're looking for uh, a better way of life, okay? So... Uh, You have Edwin P. McCabe. He's going to end up. uh, He comes from, I think it was Kansas he comes from. But he advocates for Oklahoma being a black state and he tries to get uh, legislation passed in Washington, D.C. to make Oklahoma a black state. When that doesn't work, um, he 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 advocates for black townships in Oklahoma, black townships in Oklahoma. So is gonna have about 50 black cities and townships, all right? And uh, Edwin P. McCabe is gonna go on to acquire uh, 320 acres of land. And he sets up a, uh, he founds a city called Langston City. Langston City in Oklahoma. That was founded by Edwin P. McCabe. Now, African-Americans and Native Americans did not want Oklahoma to become a state in the union because they knew white people would bring their racism with them. And this is what happened. Oklahoma becomes a state in the union in 1907. Immediately, segregation laws are put in in place. You start having a lot of lynchings that are taking place. African-Americans are being targeted, being lynched, et cetera. Um, Christmas Eve, 1907, uh, one of the first lynchings in Oklahoma takes place right after statehood. Okay, Christmas Eve, uh, 1907. And you know what? Let me see. I, I think I've read about that one before. Do you think they would uh, be getting ready? to uh, praise Jesus or something like that, uh, Christmas Eve, Virgin Mary, you know, you think they'd be ready, you do. They'll, they'll be doing that. But, um,
3: let me see, was that,
0: okay. In the document it said Christmas Eve. Now I'm looking here and uh, lynching the encyclopedia. Let me look at something here.
3: Lynching change. am gonna look at
0: nineteen oh seven. Uh
3: eighteen eighty two.
0: And here we are native wise burn. Okay. We'll look at this tomorrow. I wanted to look at uh, there was a lynching in Oklahoma.
3: And I thought it was nineteen oh seven. It's a famous lynching. Was that 19, um,
0: there's a piece from Smithsonian mag, the promise
3: of Oklahoma.
0: Uh we'll have to look at this tomorrow. I have to find it. There's a famous lynching in Oklahoma. I'm
3: trying to remember which year is that. Is that nineteen no. eleven?
0: Um wait a second, hold on. I think this is it here there was one there was one
3: famous lynching
0: there was um one that where you it was a
3: guy who escaped. I have to try to find it. I can't
0: remember, I've seen it before. Okay. We'll have to look at this tomorrow. But check out the article here from uh, smithsonianmag.com. It's one from smithsonianmag.com,
3: uh, dealing with lynchings also.
0: the promise of oklahoma i think this one talks about some lynching but i have to this one uh because i can see i can see the guy's face it was it was three people that were supposed to be lynched two were lynched and one got away and i forgot his name uh the promise of oklahoma how the push for statehood led a beacon of racial progress to oppression and violence okay this is from smithsonianmag.com official website of the smithsonian institute it's from april
3: 2021 i think this is um he escaped I did I have to I have to find it
0: this is one is one of my archives somewhere
3: okay let's continue
0: so okay Christmas Eve 1907 first lynchings in Oklahoma after statehood uh, African-Americans uh, fought back against lynchings uh, like Ida B. Wells. Now, she's in Memphis, Tennessee, but she's fighting back against lynchings all across the country, and she's writing about it as well. Okay. Uh, we know May 27th, I think it was May 27th was the anniversary of um, Ida B. Wells uh, newspaper office being uh, uh ransacked and trashed. And this is because of what she was writing regarding lynchings. Um, EJI.org, Equal Justice Initiative. They have an entry. They have an article dealing with this. EJI.org, Equal Justice Initiative. Uh, May 27, 1892, white mob destroys Memphis office of Ida B. Wells. White mob destroys Memphis office of Ida B. Wells. Okay. Uh, on May 27th, 1892, while African American journalist Ida B. Wells was away visiting Philadelphia, a white mob attacked and destroyed her newspaper office in Memphis, Tennessee and threatened her with bodily harm if she returned. Just months before just months before, in March, three African-American men had been lynched in Memphis. Ida B. Wells, 29 years old, was a local black school teacher, editor and co-owner of the Free Speech and Headlight newspaper, and a friend of the three men. This was the Moss Store uh, Murders or the Moss Store Massacre in um uh, uh, that the people's grocery store in Memphis, Tennessee. This was in 1892. Uh, though Ida B. Wells was already a popular journalist and advocate of black causes, the lynchings of her friends inspired her to examine the frequency of racial terror lynching and the false charges often used to justify lynchings. She used the newspaper as a forum to share information to share information she gathered looking into the dominant white narrative that lynching was white man was white manhood's appropriate response to the rape of white women by black men. Ida B. Wells found that most black lynching victims were actually killed for minor offenses or non-criminal transgressions, such as failing to pay debts, public drunkenness, Engaging in consensual interracial romance. This was a big one. Because she started researching lynchings and she found out a lot of the a lot a lot of the cases where uh the African American man was accused of raping a white woman, come to find out a lot of times it was consensual sex between an African American man and a white woman. And the white woman's husband found out, or brother, or father, or uncle, or cousin found out, and they go lynch the African-American man, but it was consensual sex. Uh, a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times, it was consensual sex. Um, so, consensual interracial romance, or as in the case of her friends there in Memphis, Tennessee, the Moss, the uh, Moss Store, uh, Master, uh, the Moss Store murders or lynchings, challenging white economic dominance. Challenging white economic dominance. Um, Tom Moss was the owner of the grocery store, and he had two partners. Uh it was a successful grocery store. It competed with uh white-owned grocery store. I think it was the white-owned grocery stores across the street. The owner of the White Owned grocery store was jealous Tom Moss was taking some of his customers. Uh the 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 the, the white store owner sends some off duty deputy sheriffs to trash his uh trash Tom Moss's store one day, one night. Moss is there with uh, two other men. They shoot back. They don't know that they're deputy sheriffs. They shoot, and I think they hit one of them. And um, they end up getting arrested. They get arrested. One night, the white mob comes, takes them out, and lynches them, kills them. Okay? And African Americans are, uh, are furious behind this. Okay, these were prominent, successful African American men who were killed, who were lynched. Quote, nobody in this section of the country believes that old threadbare lie that Negro men rape white women. Immediately, Memphis's white newspapers denounced uh, Ida B. Wells' editorial deriding her as a black scoundrel and fanning local white outrage. Just days later, the white mob attacked her newspaper and warned that she would be killed if she returned to the city. Ida B. Wells eventually settled in Chicago where she married, raised a family, and remained a racial justice activist and vocal opponent of lynching until her death in 1931. Her investigations, speeches, and written publications challenged racial terror during her lifetime and ensured that critical history would not be lost, ensured that critical history would not be lost, would not be lost or forgotten for future generations. Her work is a major foundation for the Equal Justice Initiatives um, report, Lynching in America, Confronting the Legacy of Racial Terror. OK, as well as the contents of the Legacy Museum and National Memorial for Peace and Justice. OK, so check out this out. Check this out. E.J. EJI.org. White Mob Destroys Memphis Office of Ida B. Wells newspaper. That was May 27th, 1892. Uh, that took place. okay, so um African Americans fought back against lynchings like Ida B Wells in nineteen o five Oil is discovered in um Tulsa. People started to migrate to tulsa the northern the northeastern corner of Tulsa was known as Greenwood that district uh o w Gurley establishes the first business there in about nineteen o six you work with JB Stratford. We talked about them yesterday. Okay. We'll continue this tomorrow. We'll continue this on tomorrow. So I'll be on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday. Uh, so check out Roland Martin Unfiltered uh 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday on Facebook, Roland Martin, and YouTube, uh, Roland Martin as well. We'll talk some about the uh, subjects that we deal with the uh, stories that we t- deal with we'll talk about that on Friday show uh, be sure to register for the online course that I teach ancient Kemet the Moors and the offer understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school we do a thousand years of history and do what led up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place uh, classes 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturdays uh, we do the classes live all the sessions are recorded you can go back and watch it over and over again soon as you register, you can start watching the content. So, if you register right now, you can start watching the content uh, at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork dot com. Scroll down uh, to where we have the information for the class. Click on Register here, then click on Enroll. Class is fifty four percent off right now. About halfway through the course, all the sessions are archived, and you'll still have access to uh, the course even after uh, it's over. So we'll post a link here so you can register for that. Uh, Next class is Saturday, June 5th, 2021, 12 noon and 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Our guest speaker in our class on Saturday, June 12th is going to be Dr. David M. Hotep, author of the book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. He'll be our guest speaker in the class on Saturday, June 12th. All right. Remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people. African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace.
3: All right. All right, everybody, take care. Thanks for tuning in.